May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Today feels a little bit like Groundhog Day, if you know that movie. The fourth Sunday in Easter is always Good Shepherd Sunday, which means we always get the 23rd Psalm and a little piece of John 10. So because we're in year A, we get the 23rd Psalm and the first part of John 10. But we've already had the 23rd Psalm this year. Those of us who gathered uh, for our very last service in St. George's six weeks ago would have heard the 23rd Psalm and well, John chapter 9, the first part of the story we heard today. And that's why we had the, the 23rd Psalm on that Sunday, because that story leads into Jesus' teaching about him being the Good Shepherd. So that means year A in the church calendar is a good year because the 23rd Psalm is a good psalm, isn't it? It's a psalm that's uh, well known. It has comforting images. And it's not too long, unlike other psalms like Psalm 119. But there are some who would, like Kenneth Bailey, uh, who lived and taught in the Middle East for almost all his life, uh, who suggest that this psalm, the 23rd psalm, is a very important psalm because it establishes the Good Shepherd tradition throughout Scripture. The 23rd psalm itself is, in the first part of it anyway, pretty straightforward. It pretty much simply describes what a shepherd does. So part of the role of a shepherd was to know where to find good grass and quiet waters. Apparently Middle Eastern sheep couldn't, can't drink out of running water and they need uh, still water, quiet waters. I'm not sure whether that's true for New Zealand sheep or not. Another big part of the role for a shepherd is to keep his sheep safe from thieves and predators. It also to find, to make sure they don't get lost and when one of them does get lost, to go and find them. They didn't have that many sheep that they could afford to lose them. So we could say that the role of a shepherd can be summarized as providing and protecting. The 23rd Psalm then goes on to uh, expand those two images of protecting and providing a little bit. Now, in the Middle East, the image of a good shepherd had long been applied to Middle Eastern kings and emperors, and good ones did provide and protect for their people, their flock, and their bad ones failed in this basic role of being a shepherd. But the writer of the 23rd Psalm takes that image and takes it further. The writer of the 23rd Psalm says that God is our good shepherd. That God is the one who ultimately provides and protects. Which sounds easy enough until for an example an invading Assyrian army is surrounding Jerusalem. What does it mean then to trust that God will provide and protect? Or you're in exile. You've been defeated. The leading families, the artisans have all been dragged off to Babylonia. What does it mean then that God will provide and protect? Or you've returned from exile and you've returned to the shattered ruins of Jerusalem. This is not what you envisaged you would be returning to. And life is infinitely more harder than you ever envisaged. 
so much harder than when you were in Babylonia. Babylon. What does it then what does it mean then for God to be the one who provides and protects? So Bailey and others say that this Good Shepherd tradition established in the 23rd Psalm constantly needed to be reinterpreted, reapplied to new situations. It was not a static tradition. It still is not a static tradition. We too need to apply it to our own situation. So in our Gospel reading today, we can see how John is reapplying that tradition to Jesus. In fact, each of the Gospels show that Jesus in some way reinterpreted that tradition. So it is clear that Jesus sought to place himself within that tradition, that tradition of God being the one who provides and protects. And so in each of the Gospels, the writers describe how they understood Jesus applying that tradition to himself. So today's gospel reading is John's understanding of how Jesus places himself within that tradition. Now when we read what we read this morning, because it starts at the beginning of a chapter, chapter 10, I've said this on many occasions, our inclination is to then ignore everything that goes before and to just think that this is a standalone piece of teaching and that Jesus, uh, and then we have to work out what Jesus is on about. But in fact, when we read this story, we need to remember that this story is set within the wider story of Jesus healing the man born blind the gospel reading for the last time we were able to gather in St. George's. And the sad thing about that is, uh, I'm pretty sure my sermon was very good and so few of you were able to hear it. That's a tongue-in-cheek comment for those of you who think I'm not being very humble. But it does mean that I'm kind of starting from scratch here. So what we heard this morning in John's Gospel isn't Jesus speaking in generalities. He is commenting on or teaching that act of healing the blind man, the man born blind. So just to recap what I said on that Sunday, that, uh, that for each sign, so John calls miracles signs, uh, in part because they point to somewhere else and he really didn't want people to take too much notice of the signs or the miracles themselves. He wanted to look at where they pointed and where they pointed to was the teaching piece that came afterwards. And so in each case, there was a sign. The sign is followed by a conversation, usually between Jesus and some people. But on this occasion, uh, between the man born blind and other people, and then eventually Jesus re-enters the conversation. And, uh, and the third piece is always that Jesus uses the sign and the conversation to offer some teaching. So we are hearing this piece of teaching after the conversation between the man 
and the Pharisees, the man and the people around him when he's healed, the man and the Pharisees, and then a very quick conversation between Jesus and the man. After the conversation with the Pharisees, the man is expelled, and Jesus seeks him out, and he is welcomed into the community of disciples. In the light of all that's gone on before that, Jesus then offers this teaching. So as we listen to John's understanding of what Jesus taught, we need to keep this story in mind. The story began with a man born blind, which left him an outcast, a beggar, every day a struggle to survive, wondering where he would, whether he'd get enough food, where he'd find shelter, every day living despised, invisible, every day a sign of shame for his family. And then he hears Jesus' voice and he obeys. He does what he's told to do. He goes and washes and he is healed. He hears the shepherd's voice and he is found and healed. His life is transformed. But then there's a conversation between those who are around him and eventually with the Pharisees, during which his parents come very close to disowning him once again. Uh, during that conversation, he uh, becomes a disciple of Jesus and questions the wisdom of the Pharisees, which they don't like. And he is once again cast out. And at that moment, Jesus, the good shepherd, finds him, seeks him out and finds him. And... When he hears Jesus' voice, he has no idea what Jesus looks like. He was blind through the entire first encounter with Jesus. When he hears Jesus' voice, he responds. And at that moment, Jesus acts as the door and welcomes him into the community, offering him protection, provision as one of his followers. So this is where we got to six, six weeks ago. And we need to remember that, that this is now teaching built on that story of Jesus being the welcoming door that welcomes this man into the safety, the provision, the protection of being in Jesus' community. And his life can start anew. He is using this very concrete and real story, this very real series of events to talk about how he lives out the Good Shepherd tradition. He's using this very concrete story to talk about how he is the one welcoming people into the Good Shepherd's community, the flock, offering protection and provision. So how might we understand Jesus' version of uh, John's version, version, I'm sorry, John's version of Jesus the Good Shepherd tradition? Whenever we read anything in John, we have to keep in mind, first and foremost, that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, came, comes because God so loved the world. Everything happens in John's Gospel because God so loved the world. It is God's love for all creation that shapes John's Gospel and shapes all that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, does. That is the foundation. And then in verse 10, we heard today that Jesus came so that they, the sheep, could have life indeed, that they could, could live life to the fullest. Other translations describe that as abundant life. 
abundant life, life to the fullest. What is that? Well, it's when we have all we need. Now, there are a number of churches around who will tell you it's we ha when we have all we want. But it's not. It's when we have all we need. And part of the gift of this time, I would suggest, is that it's helped us focus a little bit more on what is it that we need, truly need. And secondly, abundant life is when all have all they need. When all have all they need. So what is it that we need at this time? And how is that provided for you? Another question comes out of that, which is, what robs us of abundant life? What robs others of abundant life? And how might we join the Good Shepherd in offering abundant life to those who are the worst affected by our current crisis? How might we join in offering provision and protection? The Pewshet offers a few suggestions about how we can respond financially, but you might have some ideas about how we can respond in other ways. A third point about Jesus the Good Shepherd is that Jesus the Good Shepherd welcomes us into this life. Too often the story of Jesus being the gate is seen as an exclusionary thing, a thing that keeps people out until they repent and accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They can't come in. God does not want anything to do with them. But in this story, it is actually Jesus who makes all takes all the initiative. Jesus initiates the conversation with the man and tells him what he has to do to be healed. Jesus seeks him out after he's been cast out. Jesus welcomes him in as a disciple. Jesus is the one who welcomes us in. This is a story about this is about the story of the man born blind and in that story Jesus is always the one who takes the initiative. Others in that story, the Pharisees, sought to build fences around God's life and mercy and to exclude him as unworthy. Jesus is the one who seeks him out and welcomes him in. Jesus acts as the good shepherd. A fourth thing to note about Jesus the good shepherd is the importance of hearing. Hearing and responding to the voice of the good shepherd. It's a theme that runs through John's gospel. The man hears Jesus' voice and obeys. The man hears Jesus' voice and recognizes him and responds. Just as Jesus, uh, just as Lazarus hears Jesus' voice calling his name and responds, coming out from death. Just as Mary hears Jesus calling her name in the garden and responds. And when he responds, he is welcomed into the community where he will experience abundance of divine love offered in the very ordinary acts of being in community. And maybe that's a fifth thing we can take out of the story. 
that the most important gifts, and, and maybe that's one of the most important gifts of this parish, that are out of this passage, that abundant life is offered in the very ordinary ways, the very ordinary things of life, the very ordinary ways of a shepherd. Finally, there's a quite a subversive little edge to the story. It runs through all the Gospels and in Paul's writing. And it begins in the 23rd Psalm. The claim that God was the Good Shepherd always overrode any claim that any king or any emperor made that they were the Good Shepherd. God is the Good Shepherd. So when Babylon was moving towards Judah, the king was told that God would protect and provide. But the king understood that he was the one to protect and provide, and ignoring the prophet, sought to form alliances with some of the other nations, with some of the other kingdoms around him, so that together they could stand against the Babylonians. Kings were told not to act on their own, but to act with God, the true good shepherd. In this case, the claim is that Jesus is the true good shepherd, not Caesar, not Caesar's representatives, not Caesar's puppets. That through Jesus, God is the good shepherd. God is the one who will protect and provide. While God might be at work in the actions of any government, it is also true, as we have seen around the world in our current crisis, that governments do not always provide protection and provision. We must always remember that God is the one who, provide, who is the true Good Shepherd, who ultimately provides protection and provision. So what then is our role as people who follow the Good Shepherd. I want to finish with a little comment about our reading from Acts today, because in our reading from Acts, we uh, hear a picture, we hear, we see uh, how the writer of Acts paints a picture of how that very diverse group of people, and they were very diverse. None of them came from Jerusalem, or very few of them came from Jerusalem. We have disciples who came from Galilee, and we have people who responded at the beginning of the story in Acts from Peter's preaching, who had come from across the empire and beyond. They spoke different languages, they came from different cultures, and while Judaism was what held them together, how they understood Judaism and how they lived it out in their different contexts was very different. So there was a whole lot of theological differences going on in there as well. And yet this very diverse group of people were trying to, in some way, respond to the abundant life offered to them by the risen Christ, the Good Shepherd. It paints a picture of a community living out God's generosity and compassion in mutuality and fellowship and gathering for teaching and worship. In these days, it's hard for us to gather as they did. We can't physically be with each other. And so we've had to find other ways of gathering online, praying at the same time, 
having similar resources so that we can reflect on those together even if we're not even if we're not in the same place and that too has been a gift it's been hard but it has been a gift so i wonder what are some of these ways that we have learned to gather in our houses that me we might want to carry on once this is over once we return to some kind of normality what are some of the gifts of how to be church that we've learned during this time that we would want to carry forward and i would welcome any suggestions about that and you might even like to write some pieces for the next parish magazine which will be coming out on friday what are the gifts at this time for how we respond to christ the good shepherd